The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome. I've been very fortunate lately to have amazing people wind up right here in my neck of the woods and arrange for some face-to-face conversations for this program. So while you're listening today, my guest, Philip Price, and I are actually face-to-face and filming today's episode. I'd like to welcome Philip Price, environmental geologist, scientist, expert adventure guide, and filmmaker. And today we're traveling, so to speak, and for me, what is uncharted territory of our wild world, Sri Lanka. Philip has just returned from two months in Sri Lanka, working on his project, Saving Ganesh, to California, then in Boulder, Colorado, and up here floating into my neck of the woods. Life is truly full of wonderful surprises and adventures. So I'd like to begin by welcoming Philip to our wild world. Well, thank you, Ali. I, I love being here in your beautiful home today, and I love being here, uh, the opportunity to speak with you in your program. Well, it's fabulous to have you here. So we've got a lot of territory, so to speak, to cover today. Um, talking with you yesterday was fascinating. I learned a lot about you, and I'd like to share that with our guests today. So let's start by, and pardon me while I get my notes here, everybody. You're a very interesting and multi-talented man, as I said before, a scientist a geologist, and I can understand how that creates a link to, as you were telling me yesterday, the Colorado River and adventure guiding. And you also do adventure guiding elsewhere. So why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of background on how you became an environmental activist and developed a unique environmental technology and about your project. So let's start with a little bit of background. So a lot of background. I hope I can fill, fill you in there in the time we have. We do. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I, you know, I was, I was born in Southern California. Uh, to a gra- Well, my grandmother lived in the Mojave Desert, and we used to enjoy as children exploring old mines and things in Arizona and along the Colorado River. And we, we'd, there was a rope swing there, and we'd dive. We'd swing off the rope swing deep into the Colorado River, and we had so much fun as children. We loved collecting rocks. We loved looking for arrowheads. And we loved the, the Indians and the Native Americans that lived in that part of the, the country in Arizona. And uh, so as I, as I grew up, I always had a love for the Colorado River, Arizona, uh, mines, geology, and my grandmother, you know, who had a gigantic influence on me. So uh, as I grew up with my three older brothers and all, they all pursued different activities. But I was most affected by natural landscapes, environment, and uh, landscape being number one. I just couldn't get enough of pristine landscapes and, and, 
and uh, nature was essential to, to my, my upbringing, really. Well, when I was four or five years old, uh, my, my stepfather came into our household, and he was an engineer. Ended up, he had 40 years uh, engineer with McDonnell Douglas, and then uh, Boeing. An incredibly technical man. Um, he taught me how to build engines and transmissions and how to do all these technical things. I became uh, quite attuned. I had a mechanical aptitude, and it was a natural part of me to listen to my stepfather. I learned about technology. So my father, though, when I was in college, my stepfather, he, uh, he wrote me a great poem, which you wouldn't expect it from an engineer, but he wrote me a poem about how if you had to do it all over again, 40 years of being an engineer here, if you had to do it all over again, he'd slow down and smell the flowers. And it's amazing how one letter can have such an effect on you. I can imagine. <laughs> how old were you? By then, I was uh, 19 or 20 years old. Okay, so an, an impressionable time, but and also at a time where you were finding your own path. I was. I, w I was uh, building my own engines and doing mechanical things, but also I loved wilderness. I loved uh, geology, and I was trying to choose my path. And my stepfather, by writing such a poem to me in a, such a heartfelt letter, uh, he only passed away two, two years ago, and, and, uh, and so I honor him with this film as well as my dad, my real dad, who passed away recently. And, and, and through the love of sharing that they had with, with us as children, and I was blessed, you know, in, in my childhood. I had a lot of choices, many choices, and, and I think I've lived many of those choices. I've, I've chosen different paths, and I love it. They intermingle, and I, and I, and I still I, uh, experimenting with going back and forth. I, so anyway, the technology is, all, is a part of me, is it, it bred into me, so to speak, but I the landscape as well. So how I, I combine them was, was uh, early on, uh, I was an advocate, environmental advocate, uh, almost full-time, uh, and speaking at hearings and so forth. And, um, uh, you mean legal hearings, congressional legal hearings? Hearings, trying to, to, trying to persuade, uh, uh, persuade our, our, our congressmen and senators. I was doing a lot of letters, uh, speaking at uh, public hearings, trying to get new policy on air quality, water quality, wetland protection, all these things, mostly in the Seattle area. And I was, I was on some committees. I was appointed by Governor Locke at the time, to, or actually it was a King County uh, commissioner at the time. Uh, to, to uh, represent citizens for water quality for King County, the larger area, as well as, as on other committees for groundwater protection and things. So this was in your 20s? That was still, no, that, no this is uh, a, little bit, a little bit later, uh, that, that part, but I'd been an advocate before that time. Okay. That, that was the culmination, and, and I was appointed to some committees okay. and so forth. Um, so, so anyway, the, 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 the technology part came out because um, at one point when I was a full-time advocate, I became frustrated. The public was not moving in the direction I wanted. And, and I, I know how that feels. <laughs> so, and, and I was quite naive to think that they would, it would matter what I said. Are we listening, <laughs> our wild world and my audience? Okay. <laughs> right. And I gave all my passion to this. And people knew that maybe I would make effective change or something, you know, because I was so passionate for saving the environment and the landscapes and changing how we protect our water, our air and also the Colorado River, because I was quite an advocate for, for, for clean water, for uh, quantity and quality protection of the water, overflight corridors in the Grand Canyon and so forth. I was always such an advocate, a passionate one. But, however, I hit a block, a wall at one point, and that, um, at a hearing, I was, I was physically threatened by some, some people, and I was hooted and hollered at by some people who I didn't consider them, on, on, I, wasn't, I wasn't, you know, speaking to the choir here, you know, they were, they were quite oppositional to everything I was expressing, you know, and I realized I'm not being, I can't be so effective, it's really frustrating to me, um, and I devoted so much time to this, I thought there has to be a better way, how do I effect, effect change in some way, so I backed away in my frustration, and, and, and I had this realization, the naive boy from Southern California in the Mojave Desert uh, couldn't get his way with the, the urban folks up there in the Seattle area, 
So I backed away, I decided to regroup and went back to technology. I thought, how can I effect change through technology? As a 40-year engineer, my, my, my stepfather, you know, he taught me so much. And so I thought, well, I, I, can, I can work on technology for, for groundwater, uh, to restore uh, groundwater soils and so forth. So I did so that. So give us a time frame. When, when was this? Um, 70s, uh, 80s, 60s? No, it was 60s? The, it was late 80s, early 90s. Okay, so technology was really, new technology was coming up in ways that we could combine in new ways. Mm -hmm. Okay, go yeah, ahead. Absolutely, there, there was opportunity. Okay. Um, I, I chose a path and one, one, one of those opportunities, the government had put out a request for new technology to clean up. Uh, they were doing base closures at the time, closing down military bases and okay. converting these government lands to public use. And they, but boy, the government, uh, so, you know, the military, uh, some, they have one-way tanks. They put oil, waste oil in a tank and they, they wonder why, why do we never have to empty this tank? It's a one-way tank. It's like we, we come in there as consultants and say, uh, you know, in 30 years, probably you had to, had to dispose of that, that oil somehow, right? These, these tanks were, were draining into the subsurface. And, and, and of the, never of the earth. They were into the earth, you know? And, and so so, so it was never even thought about. It was not part of the, the logistics plan. It wasn't at all. So okay. as an environmental consultant, it's like, um, you know, somebody should be monitoring this more closely, and it should have been, but now we have to clean up what's, what's been 50 years of, 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 of poor husbandry of, of the earth. So we go in there, and, and, and a lot of money invested in this, and they needed technology to clean up these, these sites. So re reclaiming the soils, reclaiming the soils under these tanks. Okay. Right. And so I ended up with one of these uh, requests for proposals for new technology. I ended up winning one of these awards, a million-dollar uh, award. That's very nice. And, uh, and I was a national test site manager for my technology and ended up patenting technology that the government says saved him a billion dollars or something. So it's wonderful. You know? That's a nice trade-off. <laughs> it was. So here it was. I was able to do something for the environment. And, and, and actually make money, save people money. It was win, win, win all the way around. And save the earth. And save the earth. So it was a wonderful combination of my upbringing, which was you know, the, the love of the, of the earth and, and technology. So yesterday we were talking a little bit about this technology and um, we didn't really get into it. But at the time you had said, um, maybe I shouldn't do this because it's probably already there. And you yeah. realized that perhaps if it was there, it, why wasn't it being used? And that whole sense of of finding yourself and speaking out to the world that I have something that is new and is usable. So tell us what this technology is. That's wonderful, Ellie. I really appreciate the opportunity and that you remember that because it's very important <laughs> to who I am and what I try to express to young people and others uh, today. Uh, I've been a mentor to, to people. I've trained a lot of environmental uh, technicians and scientists and others uh, on, on what I've learned over the years. And I tell them, don't discount what you know. It, uh, original thoughts might be truly original thoughts, and, and don't discount that, that, that you're not the original person. And, and that there still is a lot of room for that today and very necessary en and needed. Enormous opportunity. And so always have, think positive and think that maybe you're the first one to do it, to think of this, these thoughts. And... and uh, maybe the first one to do it, to act on those good original thoughts. So the lessons I learned, and, and I had total confidence I could accomplish what I wanted because I had real positive uh, family. You know, my, my fa both my fathers were very active in my life and, and believed that all their sons could do anything we put our minds to. And so I believe that, you know, and maybe naively at times, but it's worked well. <laughs> you know, and I think it's important for everybody to know it. I think positive so. Positive thinking can have a great positive outcome. Absolutely. Um, so, so when I pursued like, my, my technology and my uh, invention, invention, I, I believed that, that I was the only one to have these thoughts, and I operated on that. And, and in fact, there, there was a need. Nobody else was, there's a hole in, in, in the needs of the world not being filled by anybody. And I found this unique little niche for myself. 
and uh, and 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 I be, know I became the world expert in this little area, and uh, and that was pursued by a lot of people to do all kinds so of work. So we're dancing around it. Yeah. Tell us what it is. Oh well, this is this is a thermally. It's a it's it's a recycling method of using the contamination that's in soil to actually use it as a secondary fuel source. Uh, Okay, so there's contamination. There's oils, bunker C fuels, PCBs, whatever, what have you, in, in, in contaminated soil. And you, you actually uh, will initiate the pro process by heating the soil. You then evacuate or vacuum out the contaminants, which are being what you call evolved. The gases are vaporizing. You capture those, and, and then you add that to the fuel for firing in the system. So the contaminants become uh, actually fire become a fuel source for firing the system. So it becomes like a perpetual motion machine almost. So you're turning an antagonist into a protagonist almost. <laughs> yeah, that's your terminology. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> and, um, and, um, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> we were in the same choir. <laughs> so, we, uh, so it's a wonderful thing. By the time it's done, uh, you bring it down to zero. It's totally clean. You have site closure, whatever. The contaminants are rid of, and you've conserved energy. Uh, previously to that, you know, you would spend, say, for PCB, uh, one cubic yard of soil, it might cost $1,000 to be rid of PCBs. My system would do it for $60 and $70. So That's fascinating. So, now, if I had known all this yesterday, uh, we would have probably had a whole different show than we're going to have today. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you right now that I hope you'll come back and do another episode so that we can get into so many of these facets mm -hmm. of who you, Philip Price, are, because... There's a lot more here than meets the eye. And yes, we're filming, but for our listeners out there, this is one amazing man, and we talked for hours yesterday, and we're trying to get a whole lot of information into this little time slot and get into how all of this and these skills and this advocacy and this care and passion for the environment ended up being focused almost like a laser beam onto elephants. So you're probably wondering by now, with the title of this program, Saving Ganesh, and my introduction, Sri Lanka, and uh, what I had said right before the break, bull elephants, you're probably trying to figure out, all right, how did we get from cleaning up Superfund demilitarized sites, coming up with brand new technology, and understanding that original thought is important, and that anyone can fill a niche when it's needed, all you need is some guts and you'll maybe find the glory and the confidence and the esteem to go out there and do it. So from there and all this that you were doing, you took all of this and you pointed it toward Sri Lanka. How did that happen? Well, there's, there's, there are a few uh, events that happened between that time, I, I would say absolutely. Um, and I guess the love of landscape is what it's all about. And, and you know, and the, the point of my technology and all of what I learned is, for one thing, what my stepfather had taught, smell the flowers, slow down, you know, and, and, and there's no way I wanted to just remain in a technical field. My heart's too big, my passion's too big for wildlife and landscape. So, so as much as it was rewarding <laughs> to be in that field, I always listened to my stepfather. And it's like, you know, you can be pulled into these careers sometimes and, and not realize. just. And it's hard passes. to get out when the money's there and the timing's there and everything is going your way. Yep. Sometimes it's really hard to say it's time to pack it in and do something else because you get really comfortable. You, you do. And there was a need for my technology. There's a need. Our landscape needed what I produced at the time. And it was all about landscapes, you know, uh, in this case, reclaiming them. Uh, for other use, and, and it was a very important thing at that time. 
but I didn't want to be a 40 year career person in that field. And it wasn't my intention to go that way. My intention was landscapes, you know, here. So the, the technical thing's cool, but, but I've always been one to, 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 to actually practice med meditation, to do some yoga, to go long hikes, I'd do uh, boating, outdoor activities. And all during this time, I always had another life, which, which was that I loved to be in on the Colorado River. From my youth, I always have been on the Colorado River or some other river or landscape hiking, backpacking, or whatever I can do, you know, in the outdoors. So, so you just described that as another life. So yeah. what I'm going to assume here or presume is that you found a way to bring these two lives together into a path. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and that, I, I, I would say to that for, for one member right now, I try to be an advocate and, and, and change rules to effect change to preserve our environment, to, to keep things pristine uh, or, or whatever. And so I... Yeah, I started pulling back from the, the technology side. I, I had subcontractors and others dealing with most of that, and I, I gave up some of some of the potential rewards uh, in order to, in that you know, financial reward to go and pursue my passions. So, which uh, seems to be a little bit more about engaging the people side to right. get on board with advocacy. Right. Yes. Okay. And I tried the advocacy uh, previously, remember, and so, but I ran out to a, block, a brick well, wall. Advocacy versus activism. Right. They're, they are very different. They can be. Well, I, you know, I was, they need I, each other. Right. Yeah. Let's say they do. And I, and I, I, I like to be, you know, I mentor people. I do things. Uh, I love to be with people. And, and of course, technology, you're not so much. You're kind of isolated in a room somewhere like so many people now are unfortunately having to do to do. And, and I try, I want to be outdoors more and more and more. And so landscape element is what it's all about. And so uh, I turned my love of landscape and, and prevention. I learned that an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. So um, why not preserve landscapes more? So you know, I, I began boating more, a, a private guide in the Grand Canyon, as an example, doing 20-day trips, 25-day trips. And, and I was very good at logistics and research. And, and people wanted me, wanted me to be on their trips to explain the geology to them. So I'm a geologist primarily. Although I was an environmental engineer for a long time, I'm a geologist, a landscape scientist. Are you one of those guys that people book two or a year in advance to get on one of those Colorado River trips? No, it's you know word of mouth and things. Okay. People will come to me and want some help or whatever, and or if I just have am in the mood to do a trip or two, you know I have a lot of different uh, interests that draw me. Just so. as a, a a little side point here, you just this came up to me. Mm -hmm. The Colorado River is a fascinating river mm -hmm. i mean it's it's an amazing there's a film out now called watershed there are so many things about the colorado river and its import to our our, our u.s environmental system but it's getting crowded mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people who want to float the river absolutely there are and and and, and people like me that would love to have a career being a, a boat guide in the grand canyon that could, you know a lot of guys that's their identity i'm a grand canyon boatman you know, I'm glad I have a lot of identities, or I don't even need an identity. So I, I try not to have an ego. <laughs> so they can have the identity. I just want to have a good time and, and share it with a lot of my friends and, and new friends I don't even know yet. You know, and so, you know, and, and thus I ended up uh, having friends in Moab and, you know, owned drafting companies, and they, they knew about me through word of mouth. And, and, and I lived in Crested Butte, you know, during, right around this time and learned, got to meet a lot of people, really cool people that are engaged in environmental issues and so forth. But I ended up going on uh, a lot of Grand Canyon trips and becoming an expert. And as a geologist, well, anyway, people wanted to be on my trips. So uh, one filmmaker got, got wind of that and, and asked, he, he needed a, a geologist, interpreter, expert, boat guide. And, and one of my friends that owned Descent River Rafting, Descent River Rafting in Moab, Utah, said, I know just the guy. 
<laughs> so I happen to be that guy. <laughs> so, so my love, it, it, what a perfect opportunity. I, I, Absolutely. I used, to, I used to go diving in the Colorado River as like a five-year-old. Before I, I, you know, I applied swam in that before I could swim. You know, I was where I learned how to swim. So you knew that you know, river inside and I, out. And I just had a passion for, for that river. So, so how perfect that filmmakers are going to come on our, my trip and I can guide them and show them things that I want to show him about what's important to me. So he was filming this trip he did, I did for that. a so documentary we, or? For a documentary. Adventure. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, all right. Both. Yeah, but, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah he brings special guests from Sweden in this case to come and help finance his film and like you do other places in the world. Okay. And I saw his business model, which was a great learning experience for me. Okay. So, so, he, so I brought him down to Grand Canyon the, the first time and he said, this is wonderful, Philip. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to do this again. You know, the film's not complete. It'll take multiple trips. And so it was, uh, what an opportunity. So I could bring them to those places that, that, that I loved in the Grand Canyon and, and share with them my, my, um, uh, my interests, you know, what I can, can, was concerned about, the water quality, the way they have uh, flows, that they would ramp it up from 3,000 CFS in the morning to 30,000 CFS in the afternoon. Open the their eyes to oh my God, tenfold what, what a river is. It's exactly. a living landscape. Yeah. So we made, anyway, so we made a film. It took uh, several years, but we did a film from the, that, that was uh, titled uh, Colorado River, Our Stolen Treasure. And it had it was packed full of a lot of what I cared about. All right. You know, so and is that film still available? Yeah, it is. Uh, so look that up. On. Colorado River Stolen Treasure. Right. Okay. Camera Q is the name. Uh, you go to camera camera Q.com for my for Stefan, my, my my filmmaker buddy. Okay. His, his website. You can order all the films I've been involved in. And that's C A M E R A Q. The letter Q. Uh -huh. dot com. com. Uh -huh. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Go ahead. Uh, and so that that's a plug for my friend who. Who's still doing wonderful work everywhere? But I learned so many things from, from him, and we did uh, Grand Canyon. We did rafting from Headwaters all the way down to Bo to uh, Sea of Cortez. Oh wow! Which, you know, and I talked to you about how the Colorado River does somewhat reach all the way to Sea of Cortez. We know firsthand how you can get there. <laughs> you were telling me some interesting <laughs> stories, so yeah. we're gonna. I'm gonna get you back on this show because, just as a teaser. Making a boat fly across land bridges was an, a rather astonishing feat. So um, Philip's going to come back and we're going to talk some more about the Colorado River. But you're teasing me here and we're teasing our audience. I want to know how elephants loomed up on your personal landscape while floating down the Colorado River and dealing with pristine landscapes. We understand, mm -hmm. you know, this passion of yours. So mm -hmm. how did it take a left turn? Yeah, that, or a right turn, or right. yeah, it was straight ahead. Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how that did it end? How did an elephant end up being I, straight ahead? You know, I made myself it's, it's so important to the filmmaker, to Stefan, my, my friend. He said, "I want to do more films with you. Do you have more ideas?" And as well, he had some ideas, and uh, and he had um, he, he went, for one uh, had a, a film in India he wanted to do. It was very interesting. I said, "Yes, I'm on. Let's go to India." And had you did, been there before? No, I hadn't been there yet. Okay. You know, I, um, I've done a few adventures international before before that time. Yeah, I think I had first mountain bike in Europe as an example. Okay. Um, you know, and, and, and toured around you know I, I, uh, Australia and various places. I loved international travel, and I always thought it was so important for myself and for my two children to learn to be international people. And, and so anyway, I, I've always been wanting to branch out and make an impact, not just you know, locally in, Grand, in the Grand Canyon and Colorado, but you know, landscapes, wherever I can make the best impact in, in, the in my generation. The larger wild world, it's out there. Absolutely, hmm. I, I don't want to be monocultured. I think it's important that we all 
all uh, you know, learned to get along. I, I, was, I grew up when we had to duck and cover under our desks in California because we thought there were, there were bombs coming our way from Russia, you know, from the Russians. It's like, what? What's that? We I have gosh. to defend the world. I remember That's that. The, yeah. Yeah, People don't know that. They have terrorism stuff now. But, you know, back, back when we were children, we were actually ducking under. I remember that. Oh, man. The Flashback. Or, uh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Nobody remembers that. I remember that. You know, so international travel, making an impact and letting people know you, that citizen diplomacy, um, getting people to love you so they won't bomb you, that's important. <laughs> you know? I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could work on that, those skills a little today. There you go. Yeah. You know, and, and my, my, my uh, fiance and I, we went, uh, actually we were just married, we went to Russia. She was a Russian scholar and, and, and we did citizen diplomacy as an example right before this time. And, and it's the same thing. Let's get the Russians to know us. So, so you know, we, we would do things international. So it was in, in, in my forte or whatever to do that. And so it, Stefan said, I want you to come and do a film in India with me. I said, that's really cool. I would enjoy that a lot. <laughs> you know, there's no Colorado River there. However, there's landscape. I, I have a landscape, yeah. <laughs> so we, we went there and we did, we did a whole film about the first untouchable of India to be ever appointed ambassador. It was wonderful. The untouchable, so the untouchable, cast system the, you're talking about. Okay. cast, and we did a film about him. It was incredible, the most charismatic man I ever met. And so, you know, we did a few films there about him and his life, and, and this man who was like Martin Luther King, you know, but to the Indians. I was with him for a month. It changed my outlook to India, to that part of the country, to, to Asia, and all it opened up my eyes to these beautiful people and to what they're faced, the crisis that they're faced with. You know, so anyway, and then it continued on. We, then we did a film. We had some uh, contacts in Sri Lanka of all places, um, uh, some ideas that needed to be uh, worked on down there, some, some issues with elephants and so forth back in, uh, this is 1998, uh, 14, 15 years ago. So for our audience, let's just remind that ele- elephants, the Asian elephant, is highly revered in India. It's a very different species than the African elephant. Mm-hmm. It integrates with people mm-hmm. much more than the African elephant. The whole Indian-Asian culture is it encompasses and engages and works with the elephant with people. Mm-hmm. So right there, we're, we're talking about something completely different than my familiar territory, which is African elephants. Leave them be, give them space. Mm-hmm. So you're working in India, and what you saw and found was this very close connection between people and elephants. I loved it, you know, and remember, I'm a lover of landscapes, and that, that landscape uh, was like none other, you know, to me, and, and the wildlife, the, the interplay with the, 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 in the culture with, with wildlife, you know, I, I just I was awed by it, you know, so, and, and the landscapes now, you know, India and the people, the culture, um, it, 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 it just drew me in, the, the love of the people, the, the type of culture that they, they are, and of course, hanging out with the equivalent of Martin Luther King, I learned really that I, you know, I, I need to bring back the activist in me, the, the one that can really make a difference. And, and he made a difference in his people. He still is. Uh, P.K. Mahananandi is his name. P.K. P.K. is an amazing man. And so uh, he, he, he made me have joy to do with people all the more. Just opened up my heart in a way that had never been. You know? and so that combined with landscapes, it, it, phenomenal. You know? so, so when we had then another film idea in Sri Lanka, <laughs> we, we went down there and filmed Elephants. Uh, the film was called Elephants of Paradise. And, and here it is. My heart opened up to those people as much as the Indians, Indian people, and then some. And, and the love of how they integrated landscape and elephant into their lives. Remarkable. So I learned, I opened my heart to these, these people like, like P.K. did, like Martin Luther King, 
he could recite Martha Luther King like you wouldn't believe it, <laughs> matter of fact. He just like inspired me. It's like, I want to do more on the world stage or whatever, have more impact, you know? So here we are. So we, uh, we did like 10, 10 films overall over uh, four or five year period. And that was my involvement. Which is mostly about the political landscape or yeah. including the wildlife? No, environmental advocacy wrapped into... To, uh, to encourage uh, Sri Lankans. Um, right. No, though the Indian films were just unique cultural films that were timely. Um, okay. The untouchable, the caste system issues and so forth. Okay. Um, but we we kind of go. We're not hardcore with it. We try to have more character analysis and and, not, and we want to be invited back to these countries. So we can't just like burn bridges and, and, and insult right. their their you know the status quo of the politicians. So, but but in Sri Lanka, um, uh, it, it, environmental films. It, you know, and we would try to focus on environmental films. Okay, so now we're getting closer mm-hmm. to what's going on in relating to Ganesh mm-hmm. and where your passions have led you. So um, stick with us. Once again, you can find more out about Philip by uh, visiting his website, savingganesh.org, and we're going to get into this in the second half of the program. So you're probably wondering, where is this? So we're covering a lot of territory here, as we said in the beginning. And uh, you can donate to this project. And uh, his other website is geowandering.com. And that is more about his adventure guiding and travel. You can also find him on Facebook. And you can, I think, believe Twitter. And not Twitter. Oh, you got to get onto Twitter then. We've been talking about social networking. You can also learn more at wildeyes.org and Our Wild World. And uh, follow Wild Eyes on Facebook and Twitter. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World and my guest, Philip Price. And you can understand today, uh, by the first half of this program, how fascinating this man is. We've been talking for just uh, the first half of this program, and we've covered a lot of territory. So you can imagine how fun it is having this gentleman here in my home and the amount of conversation we had going on yesterday. I think we talked for five or six hours straight and uh, then picked it up again this morning. So we've been talking about the project. We've gotten to the point where Philip is straight ahead to India and how he got involved with the people, the culture, and life-changing situations there. So let's bring this home a little bit, so to speak. Elephants in our wild world have been covering a lot of topics about elephants, ivory, and they're very large on the human landscape today. And our focus, and what with the poaching and the ivory wars and the wildlife trafficking, but you're working on a very different type of crisis, one that we haven't covered before on this program. So let's just get to it, and then we'll expand some more. What is the conflict in Sri Lanka with elephants? Right, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I you know that's, that's very dear to your heart. Elephants, African elephants, and, and uh, in this case, it's Asian, and even more specifically, it's Sri Lankan elephants, which are even more more endangered um, than than any other elephant. Uh, Sumatra elephant, perhaps, is endangered also. So, uh, just a little interjection. Yeah. Picture, if you will, uh, my listeners, we've got a very large landscape mammal mm-hmm. on a very small island. Right. Absolutely. The the, the, the elephant. Um, in, in the island nation of Sri Lanka. Now, Sri Lanka is, is like a teardrop off the bottom of India. There was a land bridge across from India uh, up to about, about 15,000 years ago or so. So elephants would, would traverse that every once in a while. So there was uh, some commingling of the species. However, uh, now the, the pressure is such that, okay, now I'll back up a little bit. But, you know, the project we did in, in, uh, in Sri Lanka, 
uh, introduced us to landscape of Sri Lanka and, and how the dominant species is the ele elephant. Obviously, it's a massively majestic animal. It, it was it's just phenomenal to work with, and I, I was just captured in doing the film project down there by this this wonderful animal. And 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 anybody could, would, if they're in the presence of these wild elephants. You're going to focus, I tell you what. So, <laughs> we so, did. So, help me understand here a little bit. I've never been uh -huh. to Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. My familiarization is a tsunami that wiped out an mm -hmm. island, and mm -hmm. my visual is palm, tropical. Mm -hmm. So, is it forested? Is it open? Give us a little right. clue of it's, what this landscape it's is like. The original paradise, you know, the Brits, uh, the British went and colonized it uh, and dominated the landscape for 300 years or so. They brought the culture in there. Um, and, 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 and that made it a change. They, they called it, it was Ceylon for a while until they ch it was changed back after they pulled out from Sri Lanka and it became independent and then it came back to Sri Lanka. Um, uh, it's paradise, the original paradise. It, 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 the people are innocent people that have a ready smile for you. They have family bonds that just are like none other in the world and they're so receiving of you. You know, when we were there in 1998, there are very few tour, uh, tourists there, uh, we, almost none. You would see you a whole week across the country and not see them. And, and, uh, and there would be old, old, old hotels that were grand hotels, five-star hotels, empty, because there was a war going on, a, a civil conflict in the country, a 30-year conflict. Um, well, know. that brings a whole other level into this discussion. Mm -hmm. So while all this is going on and you were doing the films with mm -hmm. um, Camera Q and Stephen? Mm -hmm. uh, Stefan. Stefan. Um, there's a war mm -hmm. going on, a civil mm -hmm. conflict. Mm -hmm. is, is this between Sri Lankans and Sri Lankans, or right. no, it, 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 or uh, Sri Lankans and elephants? Well, we'll get into that. Right. So, right. all right. of this, there's a whole lot of civil unrest going on. A lot of civil unrest, and and, and that's what later we'll talk about. I'm sure that the opportunity we have now that we didn't have before because the the war has ended, and that's what has kind of brought me back there after a period of time. So you've been so both a before right. and an after. So let's talk a little bit about the before. Yeah. And your introduction to this conflict, you've met the elephants, so to speak, mm -hmm. and you've discovered this conflict. Tell us what this conflict is. Right. Okay. Yeah. What, well, the, the, the one between wildlife and people, not right. so much the civil conflict. Right. Right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Back in 98, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say we, we came right in there with our film, little film crew ready to do this film about elephants. And, and within a, two days, three days earlier, there was a big bombing in Colombo downtown, and the facades of the financial district, the buildings collapsed, and, and we walked past and saw those. That oh my God, we're in a war zone, right? So we, we said no, you know, we're here for this elephant film. It's necessary. We have contacts there with the Department of Wildlife that invited us to be there. We have a film to do. We're going to do it. So, so we you were had there. somewhat of a bubble of security. We we did. Okay. Yeah, we, we had. Uh, they all knew we were there. They were inviting, and we stayed the course and did our film. You know, so and we were the only two tourists, but we were filmmakers there, and they just hoped Sri Lanka people hoped that we were going to bring publicity that is safe there in Sri Lanka, and they have great wildlife, and and, and you know, so to this day, 14 years later, I, I'm treated like a rock star when I go back there. People remember that we were there when nobody else would be there. And I, you know, I have the same experience <laughs> in Africa. You know, we're so I'm going to go off on a side note here. We're so busy thinking forward here in this dominant Western culture that we're not paying attention to the past or somebody say, well, hi, see you later, and you don't get together. But I've been working in Africa for 30 years, and it'll be two or three years sometimes between seeing people, mm -hmm. and they remember. Mm -hmm. They remember your last conversation. So what you're saying mm -hmm. rings resonates with mm -hmm. me because while so much is happening here, when we go back there, it's not like 
that much time has passed, mm -hmm. and it's it, and it's still all very close on the surface and relevant. And it is absolutely, and it st it stays in your heart all the time. The, you know, the countries that I've gone to to do films from 15 years ago or whatever, I monitor them. You know, I, I, I keep in touch with certain people. I, I care. You, you can't go and do a project that's close to your heart like that and just walk away. You're going to be involved in one, one way or another. I think there's a good lesson in that. We have a tendency here to keep walking away. Oh, when something happens, yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. When something happens in those countries, you put faces on a disaster. When the tsunami happens, you put faces on the people that died or drowned, yeah. what they were faced with. It's just incredible. You know, so you just, you just feel like you want to do something. You have to do something. You can't just sit on, on the side and do nothing. You know, not if you're an empathetic person, a sympathetic person, you have to do something. So, so here, here we are, you know, we had incredible contacts in Sri Lanka to do that film. We, we, we embedded, ourselves, embedded ourselves with the Department of Wildlife and we had these elephant trackers that would track elephants. And, and we actually paid, back then, we paid uh, $1,000 per elephant to capture uh, you know, the, the problem elephants and relocate them to safe areas. Okay, take time. Did you hear that, everybody? Donate $1,000 to this mm -hmm. Project Ganesh. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to get into this shortly. Mm -hmm. It's about relocating bull elephants that are re wreaking havoc mm -hmm. in the landscape with people. Mm -hmm. So $1,000 can accomplish a lot. That would be 10 people, $100, 20 mm -hmm. people, five dollars right so it all adds up and funding these days people think oh i i can't make a difference but you can so i'm hoping our listeners will understand that every little bit counts and how that five ten one hundred dollars that you would spend on a meal at a restaurant in one night mm -hmm. can make a huge landscape cultural life-changing difference in a place like Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. Okay, go Wonderful. ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the elephant, to me, they're, you can call them keystone species or umbrella species. To me, as a, a landscape geologist, environmental geologist, that I can make the biggest impact on the largest amount of land if they survive. If I can help these animals survive, I know that I'm protecting whole habitats and ecosystems. And so, our listeners will be familiar with that because I've uh, used the term landscape architects. Wildlife mm -hmm. is our ecosystem architect. Mm -hmm. The elephant is the largest land mammal. Mm -hmm. So I really love the way you just put that. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. Well, the elephant, the Sri Lankan elephant, has, you know, now this is an island. And so, you know, I, this island used to have 20,000 of these uh, Sri Lankan elephants, 20,000 at, at the peak, 18 to 20,000 at the peak. Uh, now there's about 5,000 left. It's gone up and down. The numbers have gone up and down. Now I want you to compare this like, to the African uh, elephant. At the peak, I think there might have been 5 million African elephants way back mm -hmm. when. Now there's uh, 500,000 roughly. About 350. Elephants. Is that right? The numbers mm -hmm. are dropping. There are 35,000 yeah. of those live in Kenya. Um, about 150 to 200,000 live in Southwest Africa, Chobe, uh -huh. uh, excuse me, Botswana, Namibia, uh -huh. and then you've got South Africa. Wow. Well, and then we're losing 96 elephants a day. You can seem to know a lot. You should take that up as an issue, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear my audience <laughs> laughing now. So now we're, we're, we're talking about a relatively small population yes. of elephants. That's, as much as, I mean, I, I, I love <laughs> adore elephants everywhere, but, and they need to be protected absolutely everywhere. And so uh, Asian elephants make up about 10% of the number of Africans. Asian elephants overall, they, they, they used to be enormous. 80% of their habitats lost now throughout Asia. The population so is immense. Let's, let's zero in on this yeah. a little bit. So we've been talking about conflict, civil mm -hmm. war, mm -hmm. and we're familiar with the poaching ivory wildlife trafficking. Mm -hmm. 
while our wild world has done a, several series on this. But we're talking about something a very different kind of conflict and crisis mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka. So it's not a crisis of poaching, mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. It's not a crisis of losing elephants to ivory. And mm-hmm. we had a bit of a discussion about this yesterday that a lot of the Sri Lankan elephants don't have ivory anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's it brought up a whole discussion of genetics and changing populations. And it, we won't go there. We'll save mm-hmm. that for another time. Mm-hmm. But... Let's let's nail it. What is this Good. crisis? Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The the, the endangerment of this uh, species. I, I I believe that they could become extinct in my lifetime. You know, or my children's lifetime. Here we are. Asians are ten percent of the African population. Sri Lanka only uh, make up ten percent of the Asian elephants. So this ten percent of ten percent. Now we're talking about a small number. Down maybe as little as thirty five hundred uh, live wild elephants existing still in Sri Lanka. Uh, this this is off-breed. Actually, they're the most closely related to the mastodon, even more so than the, the, the African elephant. Is different uh, wing. This, the Sri Lankan elephant is is more like the mastodon. Okay. It's, it's a branch off of the elephant species. It's, okay. it's quite removed. It's, it, it's one and of it's kind. a smaller elephant too. It's a little bit smaller. Sri Lankan is a bigger of the Asian uh, species, uh, though. The okay. Sri Lankan is a little, little bit bigger, but smaller than the African. You know, I always thought I can't allow. Uh, this Sri Lankan elephant to go extinct on my watch, like how the caveman extinct the mastodon or something. I'm always pissed off about that. Why did the caveman allow that to go extinct? We okay. didn't know. Yeah, it's horrible. I, you know, we, haven't watch, come, we haven't come a whole lot further. How, you know, how are we going to live with ourselves if we had the opportunity to save this elephant and we let it go extinct in one or two of our generations? And we're living in one of those generations right now. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing what's necessary to save this elephant. So when, when you know, this conflict is going on, I, I became totally aware of it in... Uh, after that film we did in '98, it, it seemed like things were going okay, okay for a while. It, it was, it was, you know, the, the war actually in the north of Sri Lanka, the conflict, uh, um, actually forced a lot of the population to go into exile into other countries. And the human left, population. The human population. I'm sorry. Yes, of course. Yes, and and the elephants actually had free range again. They came in into those fallow fields and and overtook the cultivated, formerly cultivated fields. So this is like candy to us. And they just bred, and they are so happy in the north of Sri Lanka during the war. It's surprising. So it, nature abhors a vacuum has never been more true. The people moved out, the elephants moved in, and it was great for the elephants, and their population right, increased. Right. So surprisingly, the, the civil conflict was good for elephants. It's really a strange thing. So when I, I was monitoring this from afar. And and uh, and uh, a strange thing uh, happened here. Uh, when the war ended, you think it's all good, and it is for, for people, but for elephants, it's like, well, wait, you know, we're being pushed back out of these habitats we've grown accustomed to for the last 30 years during the war because these exiled people were coming back in to Sri Lanka and reclaiming their, their home territory and their fields and fencing out the elephants and cultivating and reinvesting in the north of Sri Lanka. Elephants are being pushed back out. And, and so the numbers, which had climbed back to 5,000 about uh, eight years ago, uh, now, or 6,000, is now dropping, maybe down to 4,500 or less. So, so actually the numbers right now are dropping. And so uh, to me... I, so they're dropping because they're being killed. They're being killed, pushed out. Uh, and they're being killed because they are crop raiding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 200 uh, being killed every year right now. It's, it's what, 5% five, 5 per year of the whole population, I think. Um, and, and uh, the 200, about 90 of them are, are gunshot, killed. Okay. And others are poisoned. Others uh, through landmines. Others, fa- others fall on in agricultural wells. Um, uh, others. You know, so a- everything you can imagine that people leave behind. Mm-hmm. So what was really a blip on an elephant timeline, 30 years, mm-hmm. 
suddenly it puts time into a very different perspective. People come back from conflict, what feels like forever, generations on a human scale, 30 years, mm -hmm. to something that's really just a tiny blip on an elephant scale, mm -hmm. and suddenly all coalesces into this huge conflict. Um, getting into the conflict in Sri Lanka with elephants, a large landscape mammal on a small island, after 30 years of civil unrest, which was bad for people, good for elephants, and it's all come together in a confluence where Philip has devoted his time, his passion, his energy, and his talents to protect the species and ensure that in his lifetime, our lifetime, that this species does not go extinct. And this is a lesson for all of us. So we have the ability to do something here, and that's what this program, Our Wild World, is about. To engage our audience, to know that each of us can make an impact. Whether it's large or small is not the point. The point is to do something. So we're coming back here, and Philip has been working on this project, Ganesh, saving African elephants, mostly focused on, excuse me, Sri Lankan elephants, sorry, um, from this conflict that's been going on. So let's pick it up there. We've been talking about what the conflict is. It's over land and uh, space and food, food for people and food for elephants. So um, what are some of the issues that you've been focused on and that you're working on in the film, the current film, which is going on for a while? And uh, let's, let's get into, uh, you were talking about this herding, elephant herding, H-E-R-D, in case you can't understand the, what I'm saying there, and some of the uh, ways that people are dealing with this conflict that could perhaps be done differently. All right, good. Um, well, you know, the, the, the civil conflict um, uh, was, you know, ended four or so years ago, and we don't know. It could be just a lull in the activity. It could come back up. I, you know, it's kind of frightening. But however, okay, I, I want to ex explain about uh, you know, when the war ended uh, four years ago, as temporary as it might be, I, you know, monitoring the news and all, I, I saw it as an opportunity. I saw a big change in Sri Lanka and, and, and an opportunity for, for there to be balance in, with the nature and the population and you know, people and landscape. I, you know, I saw that for a couple of years, there was nothing going on in Sri Lanka for the betterment of the elephants. And I, then I, I found out, because we had done this film, remember, back in 1998, and uh, I had a heart connection to this place, and, I, and we do had donations to, to relocate elephants that were endangered, uh, problem elephants. We really relocate them to national parks or uh, across island. We, you know, we really had kind of a personal investment here. You know, people donated all this money and all. So we, you know, when I, so about hmm, two years ago, I saw they stopped all relocations. It's like, whoa, wait a, wait a minute. In Sri Lanka, they had these, these conflicts going on, and they weren't doing anything about it. I thought, well, no, I, I know. Well, they were do doing things. something. They were killing the elephants. Yeah, the villagers were killing elephants. And okay. All. You know, this is a Buddhist country, and they, all life is sacred. You know, 99.9% uh, .9 of the people would not, not dare harm an elephant. But 1.1%, you know, they will, because they have economic stake, you know. We've so, heard that number a lot lately, what 1% <laughs> can do oh, to the other 99. Oh, my goodness, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, these are peace-loving people, and they, are, they hold the elephant as sacred, as iconic, you know, beautiful, you know. But, so it's just... I want them to remember, I want them through this film to remember who they are. And that's why I'm saving Ganesh, because this Buddhist philosophy that all life is sacred, all life, all species equal, 
And, 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 and I've, been, I've interviewed Buddhist monks and, and scientists and all of them, and, and villagers, and they all really believe this. It's in their, in their DNA almost. But there's always a you know, rotten apple, <laughs> you know, and they're the ones, they have a lot of trouble. But anyway, so, but I want to say, um, uh, I saw that there's nothing going on, uh, that these relocations weren't happening, uh, a lot of conflict going on, and elephants were being killed, you know. What was the time period? Is it one year, two, two years? Okay. About two years ago. Okay. You know, and I did, so I started contacting old, getting, renewing some old contacts and making, you know, Get the ball rolling again. Firing emails to people in the know over, over Sri Lanka and all. Found out there's nobody doing a thing about the, the, the change that's going on. The, the, the civil conflict has ended. Elephants you know, are having issues in the north country, but the Department of Wildlife Conservation, they weren't going up there in, in, in mass like they should have into this now open territory and, and having a new management policy for elephants. They so they were missing an opportunity of a path to peace. Thank you, yes. Okay. There was an enormous opportunity, a void that not, was not being filled. And this is what comes back to who I am. You know, it's and here comes Philip, yeah, <laughs> our, our activist, like, advocate. Don't discount. Yeah, don't discount what I can do. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and this is a lesson I've learned from, you know, over and over here again. You know, I felt that I could really make a difference. And I saw that nobody else was. I really wanted to Google and see that some conservation group was going into the north of Sri Lanka and helping rescue these elephants. Especially after all the brouhaha and falderal from the tsunami right. not so long ago. Right. Which like, just dri dropped off. It's all the goodwill used up. It was all used up in the tsunami or something. Like they don't have any crisis mentality. Either. Right. Maybe so. Yeah. It's yeah. a changed world. And I did Googling everywhere. And it's like, I just wish somebody else would be there because I had other projects I wanted to do. I would not like to not have to do that project. <laughs> the elephants there and the Sri Lankan people are too important to me. So when, when I saw nobody else was doing this, I knew, and I knew my skill set and my history in Sri Lanka. And, 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 you know, and I am, a, again, a very active uh, uh, practitioner of yoga, meditation. I, you know, I have Dharma teachers and I, you know, I really do, do, do have this, uh, this bond. You walk this your kinship. talk. Yeah. yeah, I have kinship. And you people. talk your walk. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's not like I'm absolutely searching for a purpose. Purpose finds me, I guess, I don't know. That's usually how it happens. <laughs> yeah. It's are we, are we willing to stand up if and listen, to the task? Totally, if you listen, it's like serendipity. If you listen well enough, it'll come to you. Yes. You really will, it's amazing. You know, not, so uh, tell us what you, you <laughs> just came back from relatively just came back from two months in Sri Lanka. I'm still grounding. <laughs> You're still sort of <laughs> floating somewhere. So this is, right. you know, being here is kind of a little respite from the rest of the world. Uh, yep. But we've right. got um, a little time left here. So mm -hmm. let's let's bring in what you're doing, mm -hmm. where it stopped when you left Sri Lanka mm -hmm. and where it's going to be heading on to. Uh, the film, mm -hmm. and hopefully you'll come back and we'll talk about this and other things more. Mm -hmm. But where are we right now in this project? And in terms of ele real elephants living on the ground, real people, and the film that you're working on. Right, yeah, w wonderful. There, there's, there's so many ways to discuss this, this project, and, and uh, I, I guess the main thing is I, I wanted to get as much information for myself to gather as a researcher, what's going on, so I can make a, a effective, positive change and fill, fill this void that's there. So I went there, I, I befriended um, all the veterinarians, well, four or five of the, of the seven veterinarians that are countrywide. Uh, I, I spoke with every one of them, interviewed them, and they want to work with me. The director general of the country is working with me. He's directed them, everybody in all Sri Lanka, to work with Philip. 
it's wonderful. I have a, a you know a background there. They really trust what I'm doing. So so I've gathered you know various expertise there in, in the north and, and having a dialogue. Um, and and they're talking. The people from the south of Sri Lanka are talking to the people in the middle and central to the north. And you know and I, I, you know so reconnecting, reconnecting, and, rebuilding, and reconnecting an entire country, a culture, a past, right, yep. and a love for what's embedded in there, as you had said not too long ago, their DNA, this relationship, yeah. this fractured relationship. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, all the interest is in really saving the elephants. The Department of Wildlife officials are incredibly you know, passionate people. They care about the elephants. They don't know how to manage, you know, Americans are really good at managing the business and so forth, you know, and, and I have a lot of background on that, and it's like, let's, let's kind of let's create an elephant management plan. How about that, you know, and it's a clear for the whole country. Hello. <laughs> exactly. They don't have one. They really don't. Which yeah. is, you know, that relates to Africa. We're so, as you just said, we're so good on all this management aspect, but we've kind of lost the soul mm -hmm. where so many of, we're going to call it the old world or the third world or the developing world or the emerging world, whatever term you want to put on it. Mm -hmm. We as a culture need to reconnect to that and slow down a little mm -hmm. so that the emerging world or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. can access the skills and the talents and the technology we have and implement that to address their own crises. Absolutely. They, they, you know, it's amazing. It's as simple as giving them a GoPro camera or giving, or giving them a, a motion center night camera, like a, which I did. A computer. A computer, which I did. Um, you know, a chair, a desk, and an office. I haven't, you know, it's a new organization. I haven't received donations. It's out of my pocket, to tell you the truth. So, so far, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm bootstrapping this project. It was so important and so timely. I had to get this going. And I was so happy. I was so easily have done all of this again and give them only even more computers, you know, and I, I just ran out of time. <laughs> you know, so, and I ended up giving them you know, a camera before I left. And it's like, it's my cameras for my filmmaking, but you have this, you know, so. so you What's know, replaceable <laughs> for us or in, so, in a throwaway society is irreplaceable. Uh, absolutely. And, and my, when I went there, I, you know, I really wanted to use our technology to capture images of the real time, what's going on in Sri Lanka on the landscape now. And it's been a wonderful, fulfilling project for me from a technical standpoint, because you know, I can have that inside of me and then my heartfelt, you know, it's all everything. You know, so I, I went there with three GoPro cameras I'd mount on rangers' heads, you know, and they, they were so excited to do that. So they could, at the end of the day, show their wives what they actually are doing when they're going out tracking elephants and darting them Makes with it tangible. medication. Yeah, 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 they love this. So I don't I gifted some of those, but but anyway, I had these rangers with GoPros for my film, you know, going out and I, you can see them raise the rifle to shoot a dart to tranquilize or whatever, and it's really exciting footage. That, that in the old days, in 1998, we had to send a cameraman you know, behind this guy, and, and you were really scared. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we weren't carrying guns. We were, you know, for self-protection, we were carrying cameras. They don't protect you very well. You'll you learn that early on. It's, we can, uh, us filmmakers and photographers can hide behind our cameras, but it's not can. really any protection. No, we think you can. We're actually part of the environment. You know? And I was very happy not to have to be right there at the front line and, get, and still get the footage. Uh -huh. And I brought aerial, you know, aerial cameras. I get aerial footage. With, uh, this is with drones? Well, you hate to call that now. Yeah, the drone. <laughs> that is drone. But it, it's, it's technology that you know has been in use yeah. and it's highly highly applicable oh, okay. to conservation it's non-invasive yeah. it's highly informative mm -hmm. and you can keep tabs and tracks on okay. things without getting into physical danger Absolutely. so the word drone doesn't bother me at all good it yeah. um you oh. know it's, it's it's a use of technology that is a must 
in conservation today. Love it. And, and I was the first to introduce the drone to them and to help locate uh, injured, uh, injured tusker. You know, tuskers are very endangered there. And so they said, will you please put the drone up to help locate them? I have a real-time monitor so we can fly it around and capture footage and see what's going on. So are the these screen. collared elephants? No. Or, no. 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 So, you're, whole so you're, you're really you know, the needle in the haystack. Right. Okay. Yeah. The elephant trackers give up and say, will you please put your drone in the air? And it's like, okay, really cool. Wow. So I'll, you know, and I, you know, that and the night sensor, you know, cameras and night vision cameras and so forth. This technology they don't even have. And it's really economical. It's cheap to buy in the West, but they still don't have it over there. Wow. You know, so I brought a lot of this to them, including transmitters. You know, cell phone towers are everywhere in the third world now. Even. Mm -hmm. They have plenty. Leapfrogging on technology. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you can put transmitters. I brought transmitters to give gift to them at a time that you can actually have cheap, you don't need satellite transmitters for radio coloring. You can use cell phone uh, colors, it's way cheaper. So these are technologies that they, you know, actually haven't even been very well developed in the West. But, they, but, I, but I brought some to experiment with when I went over. So, so we're, you know, so we're, you know, we're trying to, uh, my, my, my goal here is, is to create goodwill so I can return twice a year and I bring select guests from the, from the West. That want so this is where the adventure travel yeah. part comes in, right. okay. Right. Geowandering.com is, is my adventure guiding service that I do to China and to India and Sri Lanka, but I am devoting most all my attention now to Sri Lanka. So hint, hint, listeners, you can have the adventure of a lifetime, join in, donate, if you join on one of these trips, then your funding goes to support this film project. Mm -hmm. And this film project is about saving a species that's in crisis, on the verge of extinction, and help people reconnect to a cultural and a past and a tradition. Can I have that in writing? That's very well said, Ellie. And we just recorded it, and I'll, I'll write it down later, because if you asked me to write it down now, I'd have to say, what did I say? <laughs> well encapsulated, it's very true. It's a nonprofit. You know, I've shifted from the profit side, the geo-laundering, um, uh, to the non-profit, uh, Saving Ganesh. And, and I want to set up a monitoring station in the north and, and, and be even more involved and have volunteers, interns, whoever wants to come there, it's all non-profit. So, uh, but I do want people to support their own expenses, even the interns or whatever. And if we have people that want to contribute, actually donate uh, equipment or whatever to, to save the elephant, please, please do. So, you know, that, that's my, you know, my focus now. I'm going back in November. Um, I'll go back with, I have some requests and things to bring to some of the rangers and others that say, will you please? Oh, yes, there's always, bring me some <laughs> shoes, some boots, some pants, some shirt. Yeah, yeah there's all of that. Yeah. yeah, bring more than just toothbrushes this time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or watches, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people, you know, listeners, when you go travel and you want to know what to bring, don't, find out what's needed and bring that and what you can access or purchase, purchase on the ground. We want to build up the local economies as opposed to building up our economy and schlepping it over there. So we're unfortunately pretty much out of time, but um, we've got about a minute here. So what would be the one thing that you want people to take away today? You know, in, in, in all years, all diverse projects I've done, I think it's most important, I think, for people to, to go to service, to, to be, you know, to think about being of service to somebody and know that you can make a difference. You know, I think it's so important. Know that your original ideas, your initiative is everything. Nobody else might be doing what you, you think others are doing. They might not be doing it. I'm, you know, I'm an exact living example of it. So that's it. We're out of time today. And uh, we're going to follow up. So Philip will be back. We'll get some more information. And stay tuned to Our Wild World. And until next week, have a great time. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.